And we'll be in Matthew chapter number 2. And let's just read the first 11 verses. We've, we'll read the whole passage this morning. We've been in Matthew chapter 2. This is our third Sunday in the passage. Uh, we started in chapter 1. And uh, for those of you that have not been part of our uh, preaching series for the last couple of months, we've been studying the book of Matthew. And the theme has been the uh, kingdom living. And then for the Christmas weeks, we've focused in on these first couple of chapters, how Jesus is the king of heaven. And so we'll see him this morning being uh, presented royal gifts by three wise men. So we've spoken about the significance of Herod. We've spoken a little bit about the significance of his kingship. We spoke about Bethlehem from this passage, but we have not addressed the three, well, we suppose three, wise men. So let's read uh, Matthew 2, 1 through 11. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Let's pray together. Lord, help us uh, today to study the scriptures carefully and to be encouraged from them. Please help me as I preach. Lord, I need, uh, Holy Spirit, your power. I need your presence. So please minister to us this morning. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the purpose of the wise men's journey was to find the true king. Now, wise men, they served kings. I'll say more about that in a minute. But they would have been very familiar with kings, and they would have been very comfortable in kingly courts. You see, they have no problem walking right into Herod's court and speaking with him. But I want you to see also, and you have this in your introduction this morning, that they were, these men were spiritual seekers who found what they were looking for. They're spiritual seekers who found what they were looking for. After all, isn't the purpose of seeking to find? Not real, not real deep there this morning. The purpose of seeking is to find. But I have encountered people in my days that have, they spend their entire lives 
searching for something or seeking for something or moving from idea to idea or situation to situation, always searching but never finding. Now, that can happen uh, in different levels in our lives. It can happen uh, most significantly if a person has never received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, you'll encounter people who they like to talk about. And I've even met people. They like to talk about Jesus. They like to talk about other religions. They like to ask questions. But it's a never-ending cycle of questions, 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 never coming to any definitive answer. You'll encounter folks like that in your life. I've also met people, though, they've answered that, that question. They've answered, they've, they know who Jesus is, and they've found him, and they've received him. But sometimes those individuals, even as Christians, they will go through their life seeking for some experience in their Christian life or hoping for some other outcome in their life, only for it to never happen. We are not intended to just be on an endless life of searching we're intended to arrive at a destination. And that is an abiding personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to speak to those that may be a bit restless this morning. And I really think there's two main audiences or two main types of individuals that will really benefit from the, from the message today. First is that person that I mentioned who has not yet found Christ as their Savior. Listen to the scriptures today. And arrive at that place where you're ready to receive him. But the second group of people is, or the second individual would be that person, that you have a restless spirit. You're, you're looking to move on to this or that, and you've become a Christian, but then you still feel that there's something else you need in life. Well, I'm hoping that today you'll see that it's only Jesus, that he intends for you to arrive, arrive in your relationship with him. Now, the other thing I want to say in the introduction is this. God does not hide himself. How many of you played, now, you, you, how many of you played hide and seek when you were kids? I mean, how many of you, all of you probably, just about anybody, did anyone not play hide and seek when they were a child? Now, this building, I grew up around this building. We moved into, the, our church moved into this property in 1982. I was born in 1984. So I grew up in this building. This building, especially when you're like um, my nieces and nephews age, like four, six years old, this is the epic hide and seek kind of a building. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, and some of you did that. You grew up that way. There's the favorite spot was those doors right there. Everybody see those doors? So when those doors swing open, when those doors swing open, there's two epic hiding at least when you're five they're pretty epic you're like in there in that little space between the door and you're like nobody knows where i am now everybody knew where we were but we didn't we we felt very hidden very tucked away the purpose of hide and seek is to remain hidden to remain hidden god does not hide himself from people He's not hidden. He's not a hidden secret. God is in the, um, his, his method of operation is that he reveals himself to seeking hearts. God reveals himself to seeking hearts. In fact, this is what we have right here is called, yes, the Holy Bible, but it's also called the Revelation. 
This is the special revelation of God to man. God was so determined to reveal himself to us that he gave us words. I mean, just consider the, the, the miracle of the fact that you have the mind of God in physical and digital format with you at any moment. We have God's revelation to us. But God was not only so dedicated to revealing himself that he gave us this written word, but God gave us the incarnate word the, that he revealed himself in Jesus Christ. To any person who's ever asked the question, well, what is God like? Read about Jesus. That's why we were given Jesus. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the word. That Jesus is the word. He is the revelation of God to man. We have as Christians, as human beings, it's not unique to Christians. God has revealed himself to all people. And he's revealed himself through his written word and through the living word, Jesus, but also before that, through creation. He's put a, conscience, a consciousness of who he is in the heart of every person. Every person. So if you have someone that you're sharing the faith with, if you have somebody that you're, you've been witnessing to, you can have the confidence that God has already revealed himself to that person. As, as, as difficult as a person may be, and as uh, unwilling to receive Christ, there is deep within that person some level of God revealing himself to them. God doesn't hide. He reveals himself to seeking hearts. In fact, when we were studying Matthew before, we saw this in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, Jesus described it this way He's, in his preaching. He said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and what? Ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. We preached a whole message on this. For everyone, for everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. You see, we are lost and we are sinful, but God has given each and every one of us the opportunity to open our hearts to him. That is what happened in the lives of these wise men. Now, what I want you to notice about them is that they came from the east and they are not Jewish. It says in verse 1 that there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They're not Jewish men. They're from the east. Now, we don't know because there's a lot of east that is east of Jerusalem. They could have come uh, from as far as Asia, though that's unlikely. It's most likely that they came from the areas of Babylon or Persia. That's the most likely, but we don't know for sure. But most likely they came from the regions of Persia or Babylon that were east of Israel. Now, the, one of the, the biggest um, the, 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 uh, the images in the passage that stands out to me the most is to see these, to imagine at the beginning of the story, these wise men in Herod's court. That's where they start. They start in the courts of King Herod, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago. They start in his courts, and if you could imagine them, they're probably dressed in their regalia. They have an entourage from traveling. They're given, they're given, a, given a prominent space. But then 
At the end of the passage, where do we find these men? Bowing down, kneeling before an infant child in some obscure, out-of-the-way place in Bethlehem. It wouldn't have been at the manger. This is a little while later. We don't, we don't know how much later. Could have been within the first year or the first months even of Jesus' birth. Um, it could have been as, uh, up till two years. We're just not sure. They hadn't left Bethlehem yet. But there they are. And what a, what a contrast to these men from appearing in Herod's court and then bowing before a small baby. Well, I want you to see their journey. I want you to see what happened and how God reveals himself to these men and the journey that they go on. So first, I'll show you that they're finding a new purpose. Then we'll look at the fact that they take a journey of faith. And then finally, we'll see their hearts of true worship. So let's think about this, finding a new purpose. This was a bit of an epic journey that they went on to travel all of the weeks and months that it took them to come from this foreign land, to travel at great expense and great cost all the way to Jerusalem. Now, we need to know a little bit about them to really appreciate this idea of that they would find a new purpose, that they would be so moved that to dedicate this portion of their life to this endeavor, that they would just put off all of the other responsibilities of their life, they would put off all the other, other things that they had going on to make this journey to meet a small baby. Now, this, let's look a little bit at their identity. They're often referred to as the Magi. How many of you have heard that? You've heard the wise men referred to as the Magi. And you might ask, well, why is that? Why are they referred to as the Magi? Well, it's actually, that word magi is the word wise men. We have two words there. It's translated in English. Some translations will call them wise men. Other translations will call them magi. Magi is just an English version of the Greek word magi. That's, I put it there in your notes. That's literally the Greek word that's here. Now, it gives us a little bit about them, but it's just... You find these, this word, you find these people all throughout the Bible. In fact, if you were to go back to the, uh, if you were to go back to the book of Daniel, you would find that Daniel was among the company of the wise men of Babylon. You would find this same type of person, the same office, the, the position that they had. You'd find these people in Egypt when Pharaoh uh, when Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and Pharaoh be, uh, Moses begun, begins to do the miracles, and then the Pharaoh has his, well, there they're called magicians. So all throughout the Bible, you'll see different words, different English words, referring to this same group of people. They were wise men. They were magicians. They were astrologers, sometimes referred to as sorcerers. So you have to understand, in ancient, the ancient customs, kings wanted to get information. Rulers needed to get information. So they created a council of magi. And every ruler would have had a council of magi. And what these people would do is they would give advice to the kings, to the rulers. Now, some of these men, this is a very diverse group of people. Some of these people were just charlatans and tricksters. 
that worked their way into a cushy royal job. They would come in and, and they, they would say, oh, yes, this is what you should do, and hocus pocus, alley. you know, literally, they would do some things like that. Some of them would consult evil spirits, and they were legitimately involved in witchcraft. Others were more sincere, devout people seeking knowledge, seeking God. And we should never discount the fact that who had a great impact on all of the wise men of the East in the scripture. There's one person in the Bible that would have had an impact on the wise men, at least in Babylon and Persia. And that man's name was Daniel. So if you like to study the Bible, I would just make a little note there. Think of that, that there was an influence, there was a godly influence that had been made on all of the wise men in some of these Eastern countries. Now, again, some of this is speculation, but I think it's a, I, I do think that it, it fits the narrative, it fits the storyline. And so understanding these wise men, these magi, I think we obviously understand that, that these would not have been among the, the, the less ethical. These would have been people who somehow, they came into the knowledge of the God of the Bible. Now, it could have been the fact that God allowed his children, the children of Israel, to be taken into captivity, into Babylon, and thus the word of God came into Babylon. And so they, these, these men, they know something of Israel. They know something of the God of Israel. And now, uh, so we see their identity, but I also I want you to see, as I've already mentioned, their status. They're members of the royal court. They have an important position. But God has spoken to them. God has for whatever reason, has enlightened them to a degree at which they would say, you know what, we now have found a new purpose for our lives. At least for this next year, or two years, however long the journey would have taken. They, they were interrupted from the normal course of their daily lives, and they were being drawn by the Spirit of God. And isn't that how God brought you to faith? Isn't that how God works in the lives of every single person? That in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of however that we live, whatever we are focused on, God gets our attention. And then we have a choice. Do we respond? Do we take that next step? Or do we turn our hearts away? Well, these men clearly, they directed their focus. They found this new purpose in searching for this true king, this king of the Jews. And so they take, uh, number two, they take a journey of faith. They take a journey of faith. And so you see in the passage that they say in verse number two, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his what? We have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. What star? We have seen his star. Now, there have been all kinds of uh, documentaries and um, scientific or pseudo-scientific reports. And be careful with all of that. You'll, you'll come across some things on the internet or YouTube and people trying to explain. They've, they've uncovered what the, uh, what the astronomical significance of that star was. If you come across those things, just be careful. Many, many times those end up being debunked. Uh, all we know is what the Bible actually reveals to us. And that is that there was a star, and 
the star had significance that they knew of. This is a mystery of the scriptures. You might ask, well, where is this prophecy of the star? Where is this prophecy of the star? Well, some have speculated it's possibly in Numbers, chapter 24, 17. And I do think that Numbers is likely speaking uh, about this star. But look at the passage. Numbers 24 and verse 17. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And then it speaks about Jesus' messianic purpose and defeating the, the enemy nations, which will be fulfilled the second time that he comes. Now, this could, be, this could be a reference to the star that they saw. However, if I were a wise man in if I were a wise man in Babylon or Persia, I'm not so sure that that verse right there would convince me that it was time to pack up everything and head west. Just, I'm just not sure. Other possibilities that people would say is this, that it's very possible that these men received some kind of prophecy that we just do not have recorded in the scriptures. I think that that's the most likely explanation. The most likely explanation is that Daniel or, or uh, Ezekiel, another one of the prophets that God had raised up while the Jews were in Babylon, I think it's, it's highly likely that God gave them a prophecy that we just do not have recorded for all of time. But these men did. So regardless, and you might be like, eh, I don't know about that. Regardless of how they came to believe in this star, God somehow revealed this to them. So what I, the way I describe this is this. These men, they believed the revelation that they had been given. Somehow God revealed to them that this star would come that it would be significant and that it would indicate that the new king, we don't know if they understood him to be the Messiah or not, but this new king would be born. And so somehow they had this prophecy, they had this prediction tucked away and they were watching and they were looking and they saw the star. And what they did is they believed the revelation that they had been given. And that is how God works. He doesn't always give us everything there is to know about him. In fact, even the Bible, which is far, far more than those wise men had, even the Bible, does this reveal all that there is to know about the eternal God? No, of course not. How could it? How could the glory and wonder of God be confined to just this book? What we have in the scripture is all that God has seen fit to reveal to us about himself. It's all that we need. It's what we've been given. In fact, even Jesus, we don't even have all of the revelation about what Jesus did. John the Apostle finishes his book with these famous words. He says, well, Jesus did a whole lot more things. And we, there aren't enough books. There aren't enough books to tell all the stories. That's how John finishes. So God has not revealed everything there is to know about him. Some questions are not answered. But God has given us exactly what we need.
The question isn't, is every question answered? The question is, what have you done with the truth that you have been given? People have asked a lot of questions. Well, you know, Ethan, what about people who live in, uh, what about people who live in faraway remote places? They don't have the Bible or they might not have heard the name of Jesus. Well, we believe by faith, just as he did with these men from afar, that God has revealed to people what they need in order to take the first step to respond to him. The Bible does say in the book of Romans that many people are given a little bit of God's revelation in creation. So they look at the sun or they look at the moon, they look at the stars, they look at the world around them. And in their heart, they say, well, there must be something more. In fact, every, every civilization in all of humanity has found some form of worship. Why? Because God has at least revealed to everyone that he is and that he is more powerful. That's why atheism is, is, a, um, is such a unique thing in human history. It's, such a, it's just such a small movement in the course of human history. Because all people have been given this knowledge of God. So people say, they say, well, then is that enough? Is it enough? To, for, they've not heard of Jesus. Or is it enough to just, well, no, it's not. Because Romans says this. They've been given a little bit of revelation of who God is. They look at the nature around them. You can read all about this in Romans chapter 1. They, 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 they see all that God is around them, that how God is present around them. And the Bible says, but then they begin to worship the creation instead of the creator. But you will find documented stories throughout history, missionaries tell these quite often, of people whose hearts have already been prepared. By the time they arrive, by the time the gospel arrives to that location, people are ready to receive the word of God. Because the light, the light that any person receives, the revelation that any person receives, we make the choice of what we are going to do with that. So while some may receive a little bit of revelation from God and then turn to their own religious practices, the real question is, what about people in the West who've received all of the revelation of God and still turn their own way? That's the, that's the more important question. Because the Bible does say, to whom much is given, much is required. And the scriptures also say that the final judgment will be greater for those who've had greater revelation. The judgment isn't equal for all people. You find that in the scriptures. But these men, they believe the revelation they've been given. And then what do they do? They follow the star to Bethlehem. They follow the light that they had received. And there have been many ways that theologians have explained this. And I'm, I am of the persuasion that as people respond to a little bit of light, God gives them more light. And as they take one step in the light, and as the grace of God begins to call them, they say, well, well other people... Other people would disagree with that. And they say, well, well, no, some people, just, they just don't get an opportunity. But I feel like it's pretty clear with passages like John chapter 1 and verse number 9, when it says that Jesus was the true light, which lighteth who? Every man. That Jesus lights, 
He lights every man that comes into the world. But the problem is that passage teaches you that people reject the light. That they would rather be in the darkness. But I believe that Jesus, in some way, in some fashion, as he did with these, these wise men, these people that were not Jews, they, hadn't, they didn't have the whole law, they weren't people who practiced the Jewish faith, but as they were given light, they stepped forward into the light, they walked in the light by faith. It's a journey of faith. Every step that they took from Persia or Babylon, wherever they came from, every, every single step they took, they took believing that the star was genuine. Every step they took, they took believing that the light of that star was leading them to the true king. And so whether you come, so people come to faith that way. Some people, it's in a lightning bolt of a moment. They go to a, 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 a preaching service or some kind of evangelistic time and they hear the word of God preached and they're like, wow, I heard the gospel. I need to believe in Jesus. How many of you, that's how it happened for you? Anybody, you'd give testimony. It was like, Boom, this powerful moment. But for other people, God, little by little, brings them along. And they have questions. And then those questions are answered. And they take another step in the light. And then they, they wrestle with this or that. And they take another step in the light. Anybody, that's how you came to faith. It took, it was, okay, some hands going up. It took a process of time for you to come to the moment where you were ready to receive Christ as your Savior. But every step is a step in light as God graciously and lovingly lights every man that comes into the world. So don't give up if you have people you care about that are, they're not in the light yet, they haven't received Jesus yet. Don't give up on them. Be patient. You can't, how many of you, when you were a young Christian, you were a little overzealous and you maybe tried to just like ram your faith onto your family members. Anybody did that? Any, you don't want to admit it. I see some nods out there. You're like, all right, you all got to get saved right now, like today. And they're like, what are you talking about? I don't, like, what happened to you? That enthusiasm, I, I'm not saying that's wrong at all. But what I am saying is, over the course of time, with people you care about, people you love, trust the Holy Spirit that as you have opportunities to share as you have opportunities to speak the gospel, the Holy Spirit lightens along the way. And sometimes it's not in our time, it's in God's time. And these men, this is exactly what they took. They took a journey of faith. But Christians, for those of us who are believers, we're there, like, well, how does this apply to me? Remember, every step they take, they're still fixed on the star. I've made it this far by faith, by the light that God gave me. I've made it this far in the light that God gave me. Isn't that the Christian life? I've made it this far in the light God has given I, I can't turn back now. I can't, I can't pull back now. I've made it this far by the light. And sometimes, Christians, you have to choose. We have to choose. I have to choose every day to say, you know what? I, I'm just going to take the, I'm going to put the next foot in front of the other. I'm going to take the next step forward, not looking at the circumstances, not looking at the dusty trail, not looking at the weather conditions that are holding me back. I mean, think about those wise men's journey. The wise men's journey. Another step after another step. 
And so I've found it to be true that this time of year, as we celebrate, as we, uh, there's a lot of busyness. You're like, yeah, newsflash, thanks, right? But there's just a hectic, a hectic I can't speak today. It's been busy for me. There's been, there's a hecticness, if that's a word. There's an anxiety. People sometimes deal with, uh, you know, everybody's celebrating and you look at everybody's pictures on social media and there's fun things that happen and you're just like, you put on the show. People do this, right? I'm talking to regular folks here, I think. I think. So they just, you pretend that you're just having a blast, but inside you're stressed out and you're trying to think, I shouldn't have put all that on my credit card. Yeah, I just went there. I shouldn't. I probably lost you for the rest of the message right now. You're thinking, man, I shouldn't have done that. Or you're, you're, you're comparing your family to somebody else's family. Or you're caught in this, I wish it was this way. Or I miss this loved one that I lost. Sometimes this very time of year, I have seen Christians actually get derailed from their walk with the Lord. In the time where we are supposed to be celebrating his birth, and I love all of the other things, but sometimes all of those other things can compete for our emotions. They can compete, and we can just get tired and weary and want to disconnect. And so I'm just trying to speak to the timeliness. Of this. this can happen at any point in your life, of course. I'm trying to speak to the timeliness of the season and just say, hey, all you are called to do is not be a super Christian, super mom, super dad, super grandma. You're not supposed to be any of those things. You're just supposed to be a simple follower of Jesus that takes another step in the light of the star and just takes another step forward. I read a really encouraging book recently that was written to people in Christian leadership. He basically said to Christian leaders, like this whole idea that you're supposed to be the, the great leader and people are supposed to look to you. The whole point of the book was, no, that's not it at all. You're just as weak as anybody. And you don't, if you're going to have any effectiveness leading a church or leading a family or leading at work, it's not because you've acquired all the best skills. It's because you've learned that all you are called to do is by faith, put one foot in front of the other and follow Jesus. Follow the light. That just takes a whole lot of pressure off. Listen. It, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, you're, if, you're, uh, if, if, if your kids are blown away by the Christmas presents you got them this year. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, you know, a lot of you worked really hard tonight for the Christmas Eve service you're going to sing. It doesn't matter if this church is filled with people or there's a few people here. It doesn't matter if your job is going amazingly well or going a little well or going terribly, or you got fired. You're like, what do you mean it doesn't matter? We all know all those things matter to a degree, but all that matters is that you can get up in the morning and say, I love Jesus, and he is leading me. And I, I cannot do this on my own. I am a weak person. I am a weak person, but I have a strong Savior, and he's given me light to walk in. So just... So just, I need to have these, these check-in moments every now and then with myself where you just take a spiritual breath. You just breathe in. And you breathe out. 
the Holy Spirit. It's, a, it's step by step, a journey of faith. At any given time, boy, if these wise men had any clue the significance of their journey, <laughs> right? They, they don't know that this is going to be written down. They have no idea that this is going to be written down for the ages. They just, we're going on a trip. <laughs> it's a hard one. It's not a good one. If they had any idea what God was doing at any given point, somebody I know said, said, said this and it stuck with me, at any given point, God is doing a bazillion things in our lives. Do you believe that? I mean, that's a theological fact. At any given point, God is doing innumerable things in our lives. And he lets us maybe see one of them. One or two. So often, God is, God, God is, not so often, always, God is working in the background of our life and we are unaware of it until we look in the rearview mirror at what he's done. So be encouraged. This is a journey of faith. And the whole point of faith is that you're depending on someone other than yourself. That's what faith is. I watch this. These things come up on my, uh, just like you, these things come up on my social media feed. If you're, what do they call it? Doom scrolling. It's not a healthy activity, but you know what I'm talking about? You're just like, these things come up. And I saw this, uh, this is not something I would normally watch, but it was the EWTN network. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's the Catholic network, right? And this nun is there. Now, when I see this, this you know, 70-year-old nun talking on Facebook, I'm like, I'm going to stop the scroll right there. That'll stop the scroll for me to see what does this lady say. And she's like, this is literally her spiel. She's like, it's Christmas time. And what are you giving Jesus? And she's like, like layering on the guilt to me, like there on my Facebook moment. She's like, you give things to your family, you give things to your wife, you give things to your children or your 25 grandchildren or whatever, but what about Jesus? Did you ever think of that? I'm just like, whoa, easy does it. And it just was a small thing. I know that, like, even the wise men's story, we're going to talk about giving to Jesus in a minute, but I was just like watching that and I'm like, ugh, like, where is the, like the, the walk of faith, the joy that just says, hey, think about all that Jesus has done for us. Think about the light that he's given us. That is a place to give from. When I think about all that he's given me now, when I think of his supreme worth and his glory and that I can just, he just says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now that rest, that rejuvenation, then it caused me to go out and want to serve him. They follow the light they had received. It's a journey of faith. And then what is the response? You see, this is where so many, really, of our Catholic friends, this is where they get it wrong. They put the response before the relationship. You know what I mean by that? It's all about what you've got to do for God. And then you can have a relationship with him. But Christianity, true Christianity, flips it the other way. 
You come to God and you get the relationship first. You get the, you get the unconditional love of God in Christ. That He accepts us not for what we've done, but for who He is. For His glory's sake. So we get the relationship and then we have a response. And what is the response? The response is just like these men. It's hearts of worship. It's hearts of worship. Verse number 10. This is cool. I never really noticed this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. That's like they were super duper joyful, right? The this is they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, right? The, the, the point here is they were really, really, really excited. And they weren't just there to worship. They were ready for some expressive worship to the Lord. They said this is like a double, um, I don't know, it's like a superlative. Some There's some grammar word for this. The whole point is they take two they, they take two words to describe it, and they just stack them up on, on top of each other. Boy, they were happy. They were really happy. In fact, they were really, really happy. That's how we would say it. And so they come in. Can you imagine after? I do not know how long this journey would have taken. But every day they get up, and they're like, oh, it moved again. Oh, the star moved again. It moved again. It moved again. But finally, on that day, the star stopped moving. It was there. And it stayed right over the house where Jesus was. And they said, there it is. That's the house. And I don't know if there's two of them or three of them or 15 of them. All we know is there's three gifts and there's plural and they have their entourage. I imagine they're laughing and hugging each other. You know, Eastern, uh, Eastern cultures tend to be a little more expressive than Stoic New Englanders anyway. And so they're just, they're just, they're clapping and they're hugging, they're laughing and they're just exuberant. They're saying, we made it. We are here. We're here. Hey, Christians, I know you're not in heaven yet, but the truth is you've already made it. You're there. You're in Christ. You don't have to wonder, where is it going to stop? Where is my life heading? Where is the direction going to be? You have arrived. I have arrived. Not because of what I've done or my accomplishments, but I've arrived at my final destination. Say, well, I thought heaven is your final destination. Nope. That's the location, but the true destination is in Christ. Because for all of eternity, we are in Christ if we know Jesus. So you've already arrived there. That's something to have some expressive worship about. And just to give him glory, to give him praise, to smile, to sing. Think of all of the scriptures in the book of Psalms that just talk about expressive, exuberant worship. They rejoiced with exceeding joy. But then there's also, now this is the time that it is entirely appropriate to offer not just expressive worship, but sacrificial gifts. 
but sacrificial gifts to him. That's what these men did. This wasn't like, oh, I don't know if we can, I guess we better, you know, I guess we better give him some gold, <laughs> some frankincense, and I guess we got to do myrrh too. No. They, they just carefully, after they, they see him, they fall down and worship him, first of all. They literally fall on their knees before him, and, and they're, they're exceeding joyful. I imagine there's tears of joy, there's celebration, and they just look at the, the baby boy that they found. They're on the ground before the manger, but not the manger, but the cradle, wherever he is. They're there worshiping him, and then somebody says, oh, we brought something for him. We brought something for you. People talk to babies, right? We brought something for you. And they go back, and they come, and they give him gold. And then there's a, another container with just the, the beautiful, fragrant in, incense that would have been very, very precious. And they don't begrudgingly, like, okay, there it is. They present it with joy. I just reminded what Paul said. God loves what kind of giver? Cheerful. Somebody that just says, oh, Jesus, I just want to give you this today. I want to give you a little bit of my money today. I want to give you, I want to give you a couple hours today. I want to serve you. I want to just be surrendered to you. I want to give this to you. The Bible is just filled with beautiful worship like that. Remember the, the, the woman that, that breaks the perfume and and, and the woman that washes Jesus' feet with her hair and, and just all these, the, the widow woman who puts two mites in the, in the offering and she gave everything Jesus said. The, the Bible is just filled. God doesn't need our stuff. We understand that, right? Jesus didn't need their gold, the frankincense and the myrrh. Jesus didn't need that. After all, he, 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 this is the guy that can you know, take five loaves and two fish and make a whole feast out of it. He doesn't need any of these things. But the Lord loves this type of worship. Why? Because it also expresses faith where we say, God, I trust you with this too. I give it to you and I trust you with it. So, you've arrived. We've arrived. We are in Christ. And now he's just called us to have expressive and sacrificial hearts of worship. We couldn't, we couldn't leave the passage, though, without commenting on the significance of the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Again, we're not told explicitly what their significance is, but gold has been almost universally considered to be the gift that represents the kingship of Jesus that he is the king of kings. And isn't that Matthew's theme? We've been talking about that. We're introduced to kings. These are men from kingly courts. And they present Jesus with gold, which would have been the possession of kings. And they recognize his sovereignty in giving him this gold. And then the frankincense. This would have been the incense that was universally used in offering prayers and sacrifices to deity. In temple worship, both in Israel, but also in the pagan religions, they would use incense as a form of worship to their deities. So many of 
indicated their belief, and I agree with this, that the frankincense signifies, while the gold signifies the, the kingship of Jesus, the frankincense signifies his deity, that he is God. Myrrh is the most interesting of all because myrrh was most commonly used to anoint bodies for burial. And so as the writer of the song, We Three Kings, put it, King and God and sacrifice. Gold for a king, frankincense for a god, and myrrh for the one who would be the ultimate sacrifice to bear the sins of the world, to bring us into relationship with him. So that's our God. That's our Savior. That's our Lord. He brings each of us on a unique journey, just like the wise men, to himself. But once we arrive, we are there. We are in him. And now we offer him lives of complete worship and adoration. So can I finish by just asking the question to each group of people? First, if you're here today or if you're watching our video and you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you're the spiritual searcher, but you've never arrived. The Bible says all that Jesus is waiting for you to do is believe in him. The Bible says that if you will repent of your sin, just admit to God, admit to him that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And then believe that he died. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me and I am ready right now to receive you by faith. If you will do that, you'll be saved. You'll become a Christian. So whether you're in here or you're watching, I'll, in a minute I'll lead you in a prayer and you can express that to Christ. Say, yes, Jesus, I'm ready to receive you. So that's the one final application. But the other is for... For those of us who are Christians, are you at that place resting in him, resting in your destination and worshiping him? Maybe just take a minute here as we close to refocus your heart, refocus your attention on the true king. Let's bow our heads, please, and close our eyes. Don't, please don't, let's, let's try to make this a very still moment. If, if you're able to not move around, that would be wonderful as each of us respond to what we've heard today. So if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, I spoke to you a minute ago, if you've never received Christ, but you'd like to do that today, say, I'm ready. I'm ready to believe in Christ. Why don't you do that right now? You can pray a simple prayer, something like this. It's not, and, and I should say, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's the belief in your heart and the trusting in Christ. But a prayer is a wonderful way to express that to God. So you could pray something like this. Whether you're in here or you're watching, pray this. Say, Dear God, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I'm lost. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I ask you to save me. I put my faith in you and you alone. My faith is in you, Jesus. 
If you prayed that this morning, I'd love for you to let us know. You can fill out the card in the, in the pew and uh, just make that note that you made a decision to trust Christ today and put that in the offering box on your way out. We'd love to pray for you and help you grow in your faith. Or if you're watching online and you receive Christ today, would you just send us a message? Just send a private message. We won't publish your information, but we'd like to pray for you as you grow in your faith. Or maybe you have questions. Maybe you're in the room or maybe you're You've been listening and you have questions about what it means to follow Christ. We'd love to help answer those. Please reach out. Right now, we'll have a little bit of music with our heads bowed and eyes closed. This last minute or so is for Christians to refocus our attention on the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for sending Jesus to the earth. 2,000 years ago. Lord, to come and to be this sacrifice for our sin. God, we pray that if someone does not know you here as their Savior, that today would be the day they'd put their faith in you, Lord. For the rest of us, God, I pray that you would challenge us to worship you with true hearts. Lord, that we'd be uh, ever reminded of the sacrifice you made for us, and that would cause us to love you and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.